Um, this morning, we're continuing our teaching series called Focused. Throughout this series in the, Ro- in the book of Romans, chapter 8, we've, we've been learning about what we must focus on. We've been learning that we have to absolutely keep our mind, our heart, our whole being focused on the gospel. And the gospel itself begins by saying that we are wretched. The gospel begins by saying that we are miserable and that we are shameful and that we are sinners who deserve nothing good from God. And yet the gospel continues to reveal that our God in heaven is glorious and is compassionate and kind and merciful and despite our evil, because that's what we are, despite our evil, God loves There is this undeserved kindness that God has lavished upon us. And he sent his son, whom we just sung about beautifully. He sent his son who lived a perfect and holy life and died on the cross for you and for me. He paid the penalty for your sins. He endured God's wrath in our place and our shame and our guilt and our sorrows, our sorrows, rather, everything that would condemn us, God nailed it through the hands of his son to the cross. And our debt has been paid. Our ransom has been paid. And so now we who will repent and believe in Jesus have forgiveness. And we can have eternal life and salvation made possible only because of God's grace. And this truth, if it will be more than just academic for you, if this truth will sink in and you will allow this truth to transform your life, this truth of the gospel will absolutely change everything in your life. And when I say everything, I mean it will change everything in your life. There is nothing in your life that the solution for it is not the gospel. Whatever you are struggling with, whatever it is, I can promise you with the authority from God's word, and I approach you week in, week out, and it's not about how old I am, because I know that I'm fairly young, and I shave, and my wife is mad at me because I look too young now, so I'll probably grow up my beard again this week. And so I have some saying, no, don't do that, but my wife wants it, so I don't know, I'm kind of caught. But I approach you not on anything to do with me or my intelligence or my age or anything other than the authority of the word that I proclaim and the authority that I have is from God's word, no more and certainly no less. And I can assure you that this gospel will change absolutely everything, which is why this series is called Focus, and it's about living a gospel-centered life. And today we're going to reflect on something. We're going to meditate on something that is just so beautiful, something that is just so utterly magnificent, and something that is just so extraordinary, that this week I found myself just losing my breath, just my breath is just taken away from me when I've contemplated what we're going to look at this morning, that we have been adopted into God's own family. Read with me in Romans chapter 8, as we continue in our series, Romans 8, verses 14 through 17, and it'll be on the screens. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Powerful paragraph. Absolutely life-changing words contained in this paragraph. And there is one truth. There is one primary overarching truth. And as we do every week, the singular main idea, the primary truth in the text that we look at becomes the singular idea for the entire sermon because this is what we call expository preaching where the main idea of the text is the main idea of the sermon. And so the main idea, the primary truth in this text is that adoption is the heart of the gospel. The primary truth here is that adoption is the heart of the gospel. When I say that from this text is that God is a loving father. And this loving father longs to have all of his children, his sons and his daughters close to him. That's who God is. He is a father. And what he yearns most is to have his sons and his daughters right there enjoying him. That's what God is. He's a father. And yet, our sin, our rebellion, breaks the relationship. And that's the whole point of the gospel. The whole point is that God sent his son to rescue us, to reconcile us, to bring us back into relationship with him so that we as sons and daughters can enjoy the father's glorious presence. And so when we think about our salvation God is so merciful to us, He's given us various different pictures to help understand it. And one of these pictures, for the gospel, understand salvation is adoption. And so adoption is one powerful way that we must understand what salvation is, that we are adopted into God's own family. And so do you want to change? And I really mean that. Do you want your hearts to be different? Do you want your heart to change? You have to allow God to do it because you can't change it yourself. But if you will begin to understand salvation through the prism, through the glory of adoption, and focus on this, the Spirit of God will begin to make those changes in your heart. We must focus on this truth of being adopted. It will change your life. Now, this concept of God as Father it's not a new concept. Yes, we're reading about it here in the New Testament. But if you go back into the Old Testament, it was talked about at length. And there's many different passages that talk about the fatherhood of God and, and the sonship of his people. Think back to the book of Exodus, a book that we studied together as a faith family. In the book of Exodus, remember that God's people were suffering. They were languishing in slavery. And God raised up a leader named Moses to go and liberate, to redeem his people. And he said to them in, in Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. And so you see here that the evil king of Egypt the Pharaoh was preventing the Israelites from serving their father. So instead of 
being able to be free to run to God, to call Him Father. Instead, they were forced into slavery to call Pharaoh Master. And so God's plan of redemption, which was Exodus is, it shows our redemption. So God's plan of redemption is that of a loving Father who is out to rescue His beloved children to bring them back close to Him, freed from slavery, free to come to Him, and to be a family again. A family. This is what salvation is. And in in the New Testament, this remarkable theme is expanded and God reveals more and now the concept of adoption is being built upon the Old Testament concept of a father who loves his children. And so believers in Jesus have been adopted into the family of God. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have repented and believed in Jesus, and he is your master, then by definition, God is your father. And so you are part of the overall family of God. And this is one expression of the family of God. And so this is a faith family. This is what we already see off island. Now, for us to understand this, whenever you approach any text, it doesn't matter which one, you have to do three things. First, you have to observe. You have to ask the question, what does God's word say? So you have to make observations. So what is God's word saying here? And after you look at that, secondly, you say, well, what does God's word mean? So you have to interpret what is the meaning of this text. And so first you have to do the observation and then meaning. And then lastly, the application. You ask the question, well, how must I change? In light of what God is saying and what it means, what does this mean for me today? And so every week in our home groups, we do this every week. We say, what are the observations? What is the meaning? And how must I change? And so we practice it every week together in our home group so that we can then go do it on our own as we read the word and draw near to Christ every day. And so we need to understand the context before we can make our observations and understand the meaning and then apply it. And so what is the context of the first century Roman world? Because when you read the word adoption in Romans 8, it meant something to the original audience. They knew what Paul was talking about. Otherwise, we wouldn't have mentioned it. And so what did it mean? What was the context? So first of all, in in the first century Roman world, adoption's primary purpose, the purpose of adoption in the Roman world, was to maintain the family lineage. So when the father had no son, he only had daughters or or his wife couldn't conceive, when the father had no son, he'd have no way to maintain the lineage. He'd have no heir to the estate. And so they would adopt a son so that they could maintain the lineage and have an heir. Now, because of this, pretty much only adults were adopted. And so by and large, in the ancient world, in the Roman world, children were not adopted. Because an adoptive father would not take a chance adopting a child because you weren't sure who he grow up to be. And so you would adopt a grown man because you could see his character or his work ethic. You you could see what you were getting as a son. And so they would not adopt children because that was too risky to take a chance on a child. They would adopt adults to then be the heir. But beyond that, in the first century world, you had five consecutive emperors leading up to when Paul wrote this that all had adopted an adult son. Why? Because the emperors wanted to choose who would be the heir to the throne. And so they didn't want their kids who were messed up anyway. They would go and adopt someone else. And then they'll be the next emperor because it was legally their son. 
And so this was part of the culture over 100 years in a row of emperors adopting adult sons to be the heir to the throne. Adoption also in the first century was a transfer from one family to a new family. Remember that. These are already adults being adopted. And so you would have leaving one family, and you would be transferred, and you would enter into a whole new family. And within this entering into a new family, what this meant was that there were all new privileges that you could enjoy, but there were also responsibilities. It was both. Being adopted into a new family that led directly to responsibilities and privileges. And so there's a rich biblical and historical context to adoption in the Old Testament and the first century world that all leads up to what Paul is writing as Spirit's inspiration in Romans chapter 8. And so we must focus on this text and focus on these truths in order to be able to live a truly victorious and gospel-centered life. So we're going to look at two, two truths from this text about your adoption into God's family. The first one is responsibility. Number one, responsibility. Because you have been adopted into God's family, you now have a responsibility. So with it comes this reality. Now, spiritually speaking, this is, this is going to shock some of you, but I'm reading this from the Bible. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus talks about this reality, about people that refuse to repent, refuse to believe in Jesus. They're rejecting Jesus. And here's what he says about them. You are of the Father, your Father, the devil. Listen to what he says. You are of your Father, the devil, and your will is to do your Father's desires. And so people that refuse to believe in Jesus spiritually have a father, and his name is Satan. It's pretty intense, isn't it? But it's, it's in the Bible, the words of our master. You see, adoption is a transfer from one family into another, from one spiritual father to a new one, from one kingdom to another one, from one family to another one. And so people that refuse to believe in Jesus, they have a family. They're in the kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, with their prince, their king being Satan, their father, Jesus calls, being Satan. Salvation at its ends is this tremendous transfer where you're no longer in the kingdom of darkness. Now you've been transferred into the kingdom, the glorious kingdom of light of Jesus himself. You've, been, you've left one going to the other one, and now you have a new father, a father who loves you, and now you have desires to please your new father, who is God, versus your old desires to please your old father, who was Satan. So now you desire to do good. You, you want to, because your heart's been changed by the Holy Spirit. We looked at that last week. And so you read Romans 8, 14 again with some of this context. And he says, for all who are led by the Spirit are, are sons of God. So if you're led by the Spirit, that means you are sons of God. So he says led by the Spirit. But what does that mean? I mean, really, what does it mean to be led by the Spirit? Well, there's a word for that begins verse 14. You see the word for, it connects it to the previous context, which in this case is the previous two sentences, the previous two verses, Romans 8, 12, and 13. So it says, so then, brothers, 
We are debtors not to flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So he's talking about putting to death simple desires by the Spirit. And he says, therefore, for all led by the Spirit are sons of God. See, last week we learned about how the Holy Spirit literally comes to indwell believers. And that we have this new nature when the Spirit of God comes inside and he literally interwines, the Spirit interwines with your human spirit. And what he does is he begins to sanctify you. Sanctify just means to make holy. And so when we say sanctification, big word, all it means is the ongoing process of you growing spiritually, being made more like Jesus, to have more integrity and more purity and a more holy direction in your life. And the Spirit does that. He empowers your efforts to be more like Christ, to please your new Father more. And so the Spirit gives us strength supernaturally to have victory over sin that previously was defeating us. And so as being transferred into this new family, adopted into God's family, means that we have a responsibility as newly adopted sons and daughters. And what is the responsibility? To honor the father. And so an adopted son had to honor the father that had adopted him. That was the context. So how do you do that? How do you honor the father who's adopted you? You reflect his character more in your daily life. And we just read it here. It's led by the spirit, being indwelt, empowered by the spirit to kill our sinful desires. And this is the key that will unlock you understanding your responsibility as an adopted son to honor your new father. Now, early in the, in the worship gathering, our, our scripture reading was actually from Hosea 11. Our brother Kashif read from Hosea 1, which is not a bad thing if you read from the Bible. Um, but Hosea 1 describes how, how Hosea adopted a, a prostitute and and then God still was showing that he loves his children. And Hosea was the picture of how God is, that God loves us and we are the prostitute that goes after other lovers. And yet, God still loves us. And this is the picture of the gospel, that we are wayward and God lavishes love on us. That's Hosea 1. Hosea 11, which is the text that I won't read all of it. I'll give you a few excerpts from the reading from earlier. And, and he says... When Israel was a child. So there's this concept of fatherhood, even in Hosea chapter 11. When Israel was a child, I loved him. The more they were called, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. I led them with kindness and love. Yet my people are bent on turning away from me. But how can I give up? My compassion grows warm and tender. So you're seeing here that God is a father and he loves his children, but his children keep running away from him and going after idols. And yet God is compassionate and tender. He's like, I can't give up on my sons and my daughters. I love them. This is God's character. He loves us. Even though we're wayward. We'll wander off the path and give our hearts to things that we know aren't good for us. And yet we can know that God absolutely loves us. 
This compassion grows warm and tender. And he wants to help you through the power of his spirit. He wants to help you to love the things that he loves. And he wants to change your heart so that you will hate the things that he hates. He wants to make you more like his son to have better character and reflect his glory and honor him as adopted son and daughter more. Do you want, and I really mean this, do you want a life of purity? Do you want a life of integrity? Do you want a life where you give forgiveness, where you have self-control? Do you truly want a life where you're bearing good fruit for Jesus and have a zeal for the gospel? Is, is that what you want? Amen. If that's what you want, you can't do it on your own. You can't. You can't. But God empowers us through his spirit. He loves us as a tender father. And through the power of his spirit, as we yield to him and actively kill our sin and we trust him to strengthen us, he will produce this good fruit in us. But we must walk with him daily. We have to be drawn near to God, and he's promised to draw near to us in James chapter 4. He's promised, if you will draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. And we'll cleanse our hearts. He will do this. Being adopted to God's family means that we have him living with us, in us, changing us as we yield to him. And yet, don't miss this. It's in community. Look around the room. He doesn't save you by yourself. He saves you, he adopts you, and then you're in his family, which means when you call God Father, you automatically inherit some other people in your life. Who do you inherit? Brothers and sisters. Oh yeah, they're adopted too. He didn't adopt just you. There's no single children. God's not a single parent. In that sense, of, or a single child, rather. Yeah, you know, that, and now we're getting into heresy there, you know. Granted. So if, if you can rewind the tape and just delete that from, we'll go online here soon. God does not have single children, I'll, I'll say that correctly. God doesn't, he, he's not a parent that has one child. He has many children. You have many brothers and sisters. And so being adopted, being saved, has an implication of how you live in community, which is why at our church we emphasize covenant membership. We emphasize it. This is a value in our faith family. Why? Because we covenant, we pledge, we commit to each other, and we submit to each other, and we acknowledge, hey, I need you, and you need me, and you need each other. We need one another. You cannot do this alone. You have to hear me. You cannot pursue Jesus and be gospel-centered and be victorious. You can't do it alone. That's not how God designed it. And so the reason why we say you should be a member is because you are submitting yourself to the elders' authority and to each other, to saying, I'm going to let my other members, my other brothers and sisters speak truth to me and hold me accountable. And when you miss church for a month in a row, and we call you, it's because we love you. And when we see that you're having a bad attitude, and we say, what's going on? It's because we love you. And when you see it us, you do it too, because you love us. So we do this together. 
because we're adopted into one family. So we sacrificially love each other, and, and we do this as a love for the Father. But this also means serving one another. It, it means that you are actually, this is going to sound crazy, but this is the biblical truth, is that if you are part of the family of God, you were actually responsible to a degree. Not wholly, but to a degree you are. Responsible for spiritual growth of your brothers and sisters. God holds you accountable for how you treat your brothers and sisters. This absolutely matters, and this impacts how we approach other people. And so when you see a guy in this, in this, in this room, that's your brother. If you see a lady, that is your sister, and we should treat each other as such. And that's the reason why last week we talked about needing to serve and how our faith family has a major need. God has blessed us with a lot of young families, a lot of children, significant percentage-wise. Our church has many children for a number of adults that are in this room. And honestly, if I can be very frank with you, our, our, our kids' leaders are struggling because we have multiple that are moving away in the next couple of months and some in the summer. And so come September, I'm being honest, we're not going to have very many teachers left. I, I'm, just, I'm just giving you the reality of what's going on right now. Come September, we're going to lose about half of our current teachers in the kids' area. No bad reason. This is Abu Dhabi. People are moving, contracts end, jobs go away. That's just living where we live. And the reality is that we need people that would say, is it possible that God is calling me to this ministry and all we're saying is, come try, come see. You may be surprised at how much you're going to be blessed, how much you're going to grow by investing in the children, by influencing others for Jesus. And if you are a parent, then you're going to be better equipped to actually teach your children by being involved. And so we're saying that our faith family needs you. So I'm not pulling any punches. This is not meant to be guilt motivation. I'm just raising awareness of what the needs are and asking you to honestly consider even being on a rotation. And so today, the children will not be dismissed. It'll be a lot like last week. And so we're going to have the same sign-up sheet that we had last week. And so please, parents, go pick up your children and use the sign-up sheet right there. And it can be on a rotation. And I would say this, we need men. We need men to go in there and teach these little boys and little girls how to be men. Because boys don't know how to be men. Boys have to be taught how to be men. Now, being a guy, that's easy. That's natural for us. But being a man, that has to be taught. And so we need men to go in there and model that and teach them and help you learn to be a better even teacher for your own children. And we need guys to help come early and set things up. I mean, we, we need you. And if you're here, well, oh, I don't have kids. Ooh, I'm glad he's not talking to me today. You know, maybe you'd be more blessed than you could ever imagine if you go and serve others in that capacity. And again, we're not saying every week it'll be in a rotation, but this is something that we need to do as we love each other. And why do we do it? Because we love the Father. It's an act of worship, out of gratitude for having been adopted. But we do have a responsibility to honor the Father as being adopted into his family. So the first truth is responsibility. The second truth is privilege. And so it is an absolute privilege 
to be adopted into God's family. Let's read these verses again, verses 15 to the first half of 17. Get it in our minds. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. It says, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And so we are actually heirs. Verse 15 is beautiful. He says, yes, we have responsibility, but it's more than that. It's a privilege. And we do have to struggle against our sin and actively put it to death and not be passive. And so, yes, we do have that responsibility, but the, the privilege is that you are already adopted. You already belong to God. You are already loved by Him. And so you're, you're calling now to continue and to pursue Jesus does, is not going to change His love for you. You don't have to fear, talk about fear in verse 15, you don't have to fear God's rejection. Even as you continue to struggle with your sin, you don't have to fear. The Spirit of God does not, it says, He does not lead us into slavery and fear. Instead, the Spirit leads us to being adopted, accepted, loved, and to have trust in our Abba, in our Dad, our Father. And so you don't have to keep all of God's laws to be accepted by Him. You don't have to do a lot so that God will please you or be pleased and receive you. You don't have to do all of those things to be accepted by God. He already accepts you. And but some of you here, you're messed up. Don't raise your hand. And some of you, you know you're messed up. You know you're struggling. You know in here that you're not healthy. You know it. And you're afraid, like it says here, that you have fear. Because you feel enslaved, where you're trying, and you're working, and you're trying to do enough good to please God, and you're trying to be religious, you're trying to do the right thing, and you're trying to do enough good to somehow reach God and somehow please Him, and you feel enslaved, and you're afraid that you're not doing enough, and you just can't please Him in heaven. Well, you have to hear from the book of Romans, God's Word, chapter 8, verse 1, that there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You are not enslaved to your sin. Not if you're a believer in Jesus, not anymore. It says now you have the Spirit, so now you're free from the slavery, from this fear. You're free to go love God, and you're free to, go, to grow in your sanctification, being more like Jesus. But in our struggle with sin, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes we end up wounded. Just this week, I spoke to a sweet lady from our church, and she, this young lady, she loves Jesus, loves him, and she, she really wants to please him. And yet, th- this sweet lady in our church has really found herself in this, this pattern of, of sinfulness and with having thoughts and desires that really are not pleasing to Jesus. And, and so she's been hearing her messages on, on killing your sin and the Spirit empowering you, and so she's been really trying to apply it. And, and so she went to an, an older, she thought to be more mature believer, and, and she was open, and she shared some of her struggles. And just for the record, 
the person she's talked to is not in our church, all right? So she talked to someone, and I'm not lying. This is the absolute truth. The person she opened up to was, is not from our church. And anyway, she spoke to this other more mature believer and just was not encouraged at all. She was told, yeah, you're, you're evil. And told, man, how could you even think those things? Are you even a Christian? And questioned her salvation and just totally destroyed this woman. And then she came to me this week. It was really hard hearing someone from our church be beaten up by another supposed Christian. And I, I looked at, at my sister and I just said to her, there is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So that's the whole point of the gospel. You don't have to do enough because then she tells me, she's like, I don't know, she's like, I know I'm broken. She says to me, I know, I know that I'm messed up. I read the Bible every day and I'm honestly praying and I'm, I'm trying, I'm really trying, but it's hard. How do I know if I've done enough? How do I know when I've honestly killed my sin enough so that God will be pleased with me, the cry of this woman? And I reminded her, you don't have to do anything. Jesus already did it. He already paid the price for you. He took your shame and your sin, and he nailed it to the cross. It is finished, our master, our king, who cried out on the cross. He paid for your sin. You don't have to satisfy God because Jesus already did. What you have to do is trust in your Abba. You're adopted. You're precious. You are God's little boy, little girl, and he delights in you. So I was encouraging her to draw near to God with full confidence that he accepts her and he accepts you. And yes, she has to grow. And yes, she has to continue this battle against her sin. But she does it with confidence that God loves her. And you must do the same. You must approach your killing of your sin and spiritual growth knowing that you are loved and that you are not condemned. And He, the Spirit, wants to grow you so you reflect His image more. And so God's acceptance of you is not based upon your performance because Jesus performed perfectly already for you. And verse 16 reminds us that the Holy Spirit bears witness. And so we who have the Spirit, we sense His presence. And the more that we're walking daily with God, the more that we will feel and really sense His presence. And the reality is that you are not defined by your temptations. So what you're tempted by does not define you. Like some of you, maybe you feel that you struggle with depression. Oh, I'm depressed. No, you're not. You're not depressed. Yes, I am. No, you're not. You are a believer in Jesus, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You are adopted to God's family. You are loved and you are precious and you stand on Christ's righteousness and so you are a child of God who struggles with depression. 
world of difference. You're not defined by your temptations or your struggles. You are defined by who you are in Christ as being adopted and forgiven and cherished by the King. So do not define yourself by your struggles or your temptations. Define yourself by who you are in light of the gospel. God does not disown his children. Remember in the ancient world, we were talking earlier, of how adoption was about a transfer, how you would leave one family, go into another one with new rights, and how it was very common for even the emperors to adopt, to have an heir to the throne. So what we see here is that we have been adopted and now we are heirs. It says, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. This is in verse 17. This for me was overwhelming this week when I was contemplating and praying about this. It just humbled me. That with all of my struggles and my humanity and my imperfections, that God would love me and send his son to die for me. He would give me his spirit to indwell me, to change me, to strengthen me. And if that wasn't enough, he offers me an eternal inheritance with him. This is just mind-boggling that we're heirs of God. Literally, in the language, if you read this, heirs of God, it means that God is the inheritance. And so what do you get? You don't get heaven. Heaven is just that's like the cherry on top. What do you get? You get God. You get Jesus. You get him for eternity. And that's the prize. That's the inheritance. Is not going to heaven. It's being with Jesus. That's just where he happens to be. But we get the inheritance. We are heirs of God. We get him for eternity. And you must focus on this. Focus on God's grace for you. Focus on the cross. Focus on your glorious future. Listen, do not focus on your sin. Don't do that. If you're focused on your sin, you're going to give yourself to it. Because it's, it's what you're thinking about. It's what you're meditating on. It's what, what you're thinking about. It has your focus. Remember that the direction of your life is dictated by what you're focusing on. And so, don't focus on your sin, you focus on Jesus. You spend your time delighting and focusing on thinking about praying to, living with, living for Christ. You focus on him, focus on the person of Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. And what that will do is it will give you the fuel, the energy, the spirit will empower you then to go and fight against your temptations and to kill it with the power of the spirit. It'll fuel your obedience. And so am I, am I talking about or advocating a spiritual life where you'd never strive to be more like Christ? No, you have to put your effort in, but it has to be empowered by the Spirit as you focus on the gospel of God's grace. You have to abide in Christ. Walk with Him daily. And then you look at your sin, and for some of you, it's this huge, monstrous dragon and it's terrifying to you. But what will happen is that dragon is going to shrink. And he's going to get much smaller. And before long, he's going to be like a little pet. And he's not going to be so scary anymore. But then, but then we can have our little pet sin. That's not going to work. You can't keep that pet. 
You have to strangle that pet. Cut off the oxygen. Kill it. That's the language here. Kill it. Strangle it. Violently destroy it. Do not allow it to breathe. Don't feed it. You cannot feed your sin. You cannot indulge it. Because that's what's going to happen. It's going to grow. And he's going to get bigger. And turn into a dragon again. He's going to eat you up. Don't feed it. Don't even let it breathe. Be violent. Kill it. Stab it. With the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Don't let it hang around. This is what it is to follow Jesus. To know him. To enjoy him. To have his spirit change our lives. That we're honoring the Father. And doing it together. I love this. I love adoption. It has so gripped my heart that about 10 years ago, my wife and I really desired to adopt, and, and Bonnie and I had been through the process several times, and we've been foster parents, and we have just, for us, a 10-year road for adoption has been filled with quite a bit of pain and disappointment because it's, it never has worked out. And last August, God's Spirit began to stir in us once again on that God's called us to this, and so we began the process yet again. And I'll spare you details, but it's been difficult. Living in Abu Dhabi, where there's no agency to adopt, and you're adopting from Ethiopia, where there's no agency there, and I can just tell you that you're, 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 you're dealing with U.S. immigration, you're dealing with Ethiopian government and UAE government. You can only imagine the degree of paperwork and, and just frustration that it's been. And yet, we are in the process to adopt, and we're awaiting currently our approval by U.S. immigration that we pray to get soon, and then we'll get matched with two children from Ethiopia, and we're praying for two children under the age of two that we'll bring to our home in the next few months. And we are just overjoyed at the privilege of adopting and of expanding our family. And I, I can tell you, on a very human level, adoption can be very painful. I haven't adopted yet. Just the process has been difficult. But when I think of it in the ultimate sense, God's adoption of us, it was very painful for him. God adopting you was not easy. God adopting you was very costly, very painful. It cost him his son's blood. Jesus had to die on the cross in order for you and me to be able to be adopted, to be forgiven, to belong to God. So your redemption, your freedom was not free or cheap for God. But it was worth it. For his word to be displayed as he takes sinners like you and me and transforms us into people that love and worship Jesus. It was worth it for God the Father and God the Son and now God the Spirit that comes and lives inside of us. And this, uh, this incredible text ends with the bookend. It began this paragraph with talking about the responsibility. Walk in the Spirit, kill the flesh. And then the privilege that we're heirs with Christ. That we're loved. And then he bookends with responsibility once again. Second half of verse 17 as we close. And he says that we're heirs of the Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified 
with him. We have this responsibility, this calling to honor the Father, even if it's hard, even if there's suffering. We live for the gospel. We live for God's glory, even if it's not pleasant, even if it's costly. This is who we are. We, we represent the Father, who is also our King, and we represent Him well through the power of His Spirit in community, even if it's challenging. Be willing to suffer for Him. You are loved. You are treasured. You belong to God. That gives you a responsibility to honor the Father and a tremendous privilege to be called his son or daughter. But are you in the room and maybe you've come to realization that God is not your father? Maybe you're here today, and as, as you've been looking at Romans 8 with us, you realize that you've had religion, but maybe you understand that that religion is not changing you in here, and what you need is far more than religion. What you need is to be adopted into the family of God, to know God personally and have his spirit change you and satisfy your soul that is hungry and thirsty, and he will. And today you can be adopted. Today, you can belong to God's family if you will respond to this truth with faith and repentance. Turn away from your sin, your desire to be on your own and do things your way on your agenda. Repent of your self-sufficiency. Repent. But trust your, your Abba, your Father. Trust Him. And He'll save you. You can do it today. Please pray with me. Our loving Father, even the joy of calling you Father is overwhelming at times. When we ponder how you love us and how we are so ungrateful and how, how we're so undeserving, and we see how you've lavished love upon us and how you want to change us to make us more obedient, more like your son. We're just moved to worship, to value you, to treasure you. Forgive us for valuing other things more than you. Forgive us for loving other things more than you. But thank you for your son, his work on the cross and our salvation. Thank you that we can follow you together. Thank you for this church. I lift up anyone in this room that right now has never repented, never believed in you. They're far from you, and they know it. Give them the courage to be honest with themselves and honest with you and repent and believe in you and be transformed and have your spirit in them and be adopted into your family today. Father, we praise you. Praise you for your son. Praise you for your spirit and that you are our triune God. And we pray to you in the name of our master Jesus.